0: Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Kyle Wagner. Kyle, Kyle is currently the director of player development for Go Wags, which is a travel baseball organization and facility in Pennsylvania. He is also an author. He has two books Green Light Hitting and How the River Cats Won. I really like some of the the stuff that, that Kyle's been putting out on social media lately and it really <clears throat> resonated with me and he's had a lot of experience working with kids who were in high school and younger so if if you're someone who is interested in learning more about how to develop players hitters more specifically who are high school and younger this is going to be a really beneficial episode for you, uh, he talks about how aggression should always precede discipline, and how we should be preaching aggression to younger hitters, and not making sure they get you know a good pitch to hit, and, and having all these things they need to think about because they don't have a high IQ when it comes to hitting. That's one of the things that that Kyle talks about. Um, we also get into some, some college recruiting. Like I said before, Kyle. What is currently the director of player development, but what uh, more so ran the Go Wags travel baseball program for eight years. So he sent a lot of players to college. His son's currently a freshman at the uh, at University of Georgia and is pitching on Friday night. So he, um, he's done a really good job as a coach, and I'm excited to uh, to share what he has to say with everyone in this episode. Um, so again, I, I appreciate everyone listening. If you haven't already, make sure to go subscribe, rate, leave a review on iTunes. Um, you know We're available on Spotify, Pandora, all the podcasting platforms, and every episode is also on my website, PatrickJonesBaseball.com. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Kyle Wagner. All right. We now welcome on Kyle Wagner. Kyle, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here, and thanks for having me. So I've been following you for a little while now. You've been putting out some some really good stuff online, and you know, it was I wanted to have you on the show for a few reasons, and one of them was I think you do a really good job of teaching and coaching specifically to the youth side specifically to high school players and, and younger and I think it's really important for parents to to hear I think what you have to say because I think it is really valuable and I think it would help a lot for them to 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 have maybe I don't know if the the why behind the what but I, I think I, again I just wanted to to have you on and pick your brain and let you talk about you know what you're really good at which is explaining you know why you do why you do and develop players the way you do. Um, so again, I just appreciate, you know, you have you coming on and, um, you know, what, what is your background? I know you, you before we started recording, you said you, you played a little bit and you were coaching and then you are a teacher.
1: Yeah, too. Well, like, so discussing my background, I probably have to recognize that I have a twin brother and and our relationship, uh, is, is always, uh, running throughout all the streams, of of the channels that I've that I've participated in. I mean, we we went to high school together. We went to Wake Forest together. That's that's where we played college baseball. And uh, he was a first round draft pick his junior year, so he left. And then uh, I graduated as a senior, played one year in the Angels organization, and then I coached uh, at Wake Forest for a year. I coached at Elizabethtown College, which is a Division three college. I coached high school baseball for eight years. And then I ran that travel organization, Go Wags, for eight years. And, and then in the process, too, uh, is I have a son uh, that's a freshman at the University of Georgia, and, and my brother's son uh, will be a freshman at Georgia next year. So always some angle with baseball and lots of different perspectives,
0: I think, that have helped me form uh, some of my opinions. So will you get back, get back into travel baseball now that your son is in college?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean that that's the idea. Uh I I think that you know, I I have something to share. I I really enjoy watching kids achieve their goals and if if I can help them, I will and so I think yeah, I think I'll I'll, I'll probably be more involved with the baseball side of it here shortly.
0: So do you are you working with players now because I, I just by following you on social media I, I see you put out some content it looks like you're working with players kind of here and there at a facility
1: yeah, that's right. um so I, i'm I'm basically I guess my title would probably be director of player development at gowags that I, I took like a three year break to just to follow my son and and now I'm back and that's probably. I guess that's my title, but, but I'm not opposed to working with other teams as well. So when they recruit me, I'll jump in and I'll help. So the stuff that you're seeing is probably me in some capacity with, with kids aged 11 through 15.
0: I gotcha. And then you also wrote a book, green light hitting. Yeah. When did, when did that, uh, like, why did you want to write uh, a book? Wow. Well, so uh, first of all, congrats on doing that. It's not an easy task. I don't think the average person out there doesn't probably doesn't realize It's one of those things. You don't know how hard it is until you try to do it. Yeah.
1: I've actually written two books. The, The green light book was the, was the, was a hitting specific book. And then I wrote a coaching, uh, relationships book later called how the river cats won. But the, the hitting book was born out of my frustration is that, you know, again, my brother was a better baseball player than me. I mean, identical twins, same DNA, just a really, really talented baseball player that could 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 hit really well, and and yet he pitched like he was a pitcher, just a really good baseball player. And you know, they told me if you if you hit wags, you'll play in the big leagues, and I never could. And and I'm not placing blame on anyone. I think it was a function of the times that we were in. We just didn't have a ton of information and when I sat down to write a book, my son was, oh, five, six, seven, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I had an idea of what it should look like, but, you know, the way I'm wired is, is I wanted to dig a little deeper and I wanted to do my own research and follow the right people and, and not really accept anything at face value. And then after two or three years of digging, I started to piece some things together and then I guess in 2012 is when green light hitting popped up and that became the foundation of our facility go wags is I could train our instructors in that model and then uh, I was sort of the the figurehead the the tip of the spear sort so to speak and then those around me could uh, share a similar message and and it and it spread uh, it was you know, everyone's different, everyone's unique, but that particular style was really appealing to parents and coaches alike, because there was always a plan. There was always a a next thing to work on. And I think that's what was most appealing about it. How did you come up with that plan? Well, um, you know, I, I feel like there's so much good information out there, but in some respects it was a dark board method. It was like, well, okay, so that works, but what if, what if I'm not ready for that? What if that's a higher level skill that, that I'll, I'll, I'll learn on my own over time. Like what if, what if, what if me attempting to do that is actually going to hurt me in the short term? Right. So my, my greatest quest was to piece it together where, you know, you 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 give kids what they need when they need it so they can be successful in the present, but but stay on track to develop for the long the long term. And I was really sensitive to, you know, some sometimes really good drills and really good advice for a 21-year-old might be actually counterproductive to a seven and eight-year-old. You know, so that's that's what green light hitting was. It became this level-based system where every coach, every parent, every player knew what it was they were supposed to be working on. And, you know, if if the kid in the cage to the left of you was doing something else, you know, you might like that and dad might want to do that. But I had them believing that in time, that's something that we'll get to in time. Time. You know, before we can get to that, we have to prove that we we can
0: demonstrate competence or mastery in this something else. Yeah, and for those listening or watching this, uh, I I really encourage you to go grab grab uh, Kyle's book, both books really. But it's um, I mean, he's he's really smart. The content uh, I mean, is. <laughs> I try hard. Like I I'm, I don't know. I know. I, mean, I know. I know. No, I know. Um, yeah. But I I, like I said I'm I'm on social media pretty. Regular, I mean regularly every day, and so I see a lot of content. and And I work with players in the off season. I'm getting relieved to, to go to spring training, but in the off season, I do work with a lot of younger players, and so I'm always looking for ways to to help them because it is completely different. It's completely yeah. different. I mean, if I yeah. I had a big leaguer up in my cage this off season, and then a couple hours later, I had a twelve year old completely different i mean you you ha- you cannot do the same thing and i think and maybe you maybe uh can elaborate this on this a little bit what i see online on social media is i see a lot of former pro guys bashing instructors on trying different drills or whatever but what they don't understand is at the pro level those guys don't have the issues that these kids have and so if what i just see is i see a lot of instructors they're just trying. And some of it maybe is a little overboard. But what what they're just trying to find a way to help that player improve that movement flaw. And and then again, maybe some of it is crazy. But but those pro guys, they don't understand that because they just see pro guys. And I've only been around professional players and they don't have that issue. I mean, I, I won't have to do a bunch of crazy drills this year with the guys I have. They already move really well. i have 12 year olds that have flaws and i just that's just what i see that they just guys just trying to get creative to help help these younger kids who have flaws
1: yeah i think i think with um you know with 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 respect to um training hitters I, i think it's this idea of proximal to distal it's that when you get to the big league level the game is played in your hands and and so much instruction is about uh, manipulating the barrel and and creating a great bat path with with great timing and and staying middle of the field and and all those things and and those are hand related functions and when I say it's it's proximal to distal that's just fancy talk for the big muscles got to work first right you, you've got to if if a young kid doesn't have core strength what are we doing working with the fingers I mean he can't he can't he can't maintain great posture why are we working on his hands so that's what green light hitting was it was this recognition that before we can get to the to the precision piece of fine motor skills we we have to unlock the big pieces of uh, of of the, of the core and and posture and and you know and and learning how to move fast and and uh, allowing you know, the mind and the body work together. So when the, when the body moves fast, the, the brain develops this freedom where it isn't operating under a condition of fear. It, it, it can, uh, it, it, there's this comfort and trust that it'll protect itself. And, and those are all, all things that, that high level players own and they have, and they're not aware that they have them. Right. So that again, Eventually, like all when I when I hear big leaguers talk and and high level hitting coaches talk, I'm constantly nodding my head because I agree with it. Especially now that my son is a 19 year old player playing at a very high level, like I want to know what message is needed to help him. But you know, once upon a time he was a six, seven, eight year old, and and I didn't talk like that. We didn't. We didn't. You know, we we talked about getting into some guy's elite fastball that that doesn't know where it's going, right? Like, those are all survival skills that, that let him grow in the game and give him a chance to be a 19-year-old successful hitter.
0: Well, and I, I also think, I mean, your son's at the University of Georgia. I mean, that's a pretty good – I mean, that's in the SEC. And so I, I wonder if he's even really a good example because he's not – he wasn't the average. He's not the average, right? He's definitely that's right. above – definitely above, I mean, the average kid out there. So even him, I mean, he's, he would have been above the majority sure. and, of his
1: age. And, and one of the best compliments that I got, um, uh, a friend, a coach, Greg Young, uh, when he first met me, he, he runs a young guns baseball out of, uh, Philly. And, uh, he said, Kyle, what appealed to me with what you were doing? Wasn't the fact that your son could hit, right? Like, I I get that. There are always good players in lineups. He said, your average player was better than anyone else's average player. That was what was appealing is that, you know, you could see that there was something happening collectively, which was attractive. If, if you can raise the level of your, of your lowest player, then that was something I was interested in. And, And I think that's what that did is, is the green light hitting was a, a way to raise the level of of all your players. It was this systematic approach that people could buy into.
0: Aggression precedes discipline. I was I went back and watched uh one of your Twitter thread Twitter yep. threads videos yesterday. Uh actually I'll put that link on the show notes because I think that's a really good one for people to watch. Take me through that because I, I I'm a i am loved what I heard on the video.
1: Yeah. Well you know so look <laughs> at the highest levels of baseball, one of the, the the absolute truisms is get a good pitch to hit. I mean, 100% true. It, it, hitting is so difficult if you can't get a good pitch to hit, all right? So th- this is a classic example of a great message to the wrong crowd. So get a good pitch to hit hinges on discipline, that we can't go after the pitches that the pitcher wants us to chase that, you know, if, if he's willing, if we're willing to swing a ball three or four inches outside the zone, we're playing into his hands. And that's something we want to try to avoid that that's discipline, but aggression precedes discipline means that we have to instill this aggressive mindset in our hitters. So someday they'll have that opportunity to compete against great pitchers that have the ability to command a pitch four inches off the zone, right? Like young pitchers, also don't have great skill sets. So they aren't repeatedly throwing balls four inches off the outside corner or running balls in on your hands. What 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 it becomes is is the balls a- approaching the strike zone are, are much there's much more variation. So because we can't predict where it's going to end up, we, we want to give our hitters this this aggressive mindset so that they have freedom of movement that they can find their barrel more often that, um, you know, and that they that they can barrel balls up that might even be attacking them that 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 might even like if if I can empower my kid with an aggressive mindset, that ball that's that's attacking my chest, I might be able to rip down the line foul instead of getting drilled in the back and making this experience so painful and, and fearful. And so aggression precedes discipline has has um, much of its tentacles, in the psychology of the game about uh, minimizing fear and, 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 and removing that element. But the other thing is, is uh, something that I alluded to in that video Hicks's law. And, and, and it, it recognizes the choices that we give our hitters and uh, a lot of choices that we give our hitters are reaction time based. And, And again, this is some higher level stuff, but I did do my digging and I, and I can speak to it is, is that there's three le- there's three kinds of reaction times. There's simple. There's there's recognition and there's choice. Simple is like whack a mole. See something, hit it. That's the easiest. It's the fastest. And that's really the first thing we want our young kids to be. Is we want them to be simple reaction times. See a ball, hit a ball. See a ball, hit a ball. That's where you get them moving as fast as humanly possible, where they can protect themselves. But eventually the game gets gets harder and and they start adding these curveballs and change-ups. And, and all of a sudden now, we can't function on a simple reaction time. We have to add more choices. And unfortunately, us coaches sometimes add choices inadvertently. We tell a kid, hey, make it be a strike. We tell a kid, you can't swing at that. We, And then all of a sudden, what we do is, is we add choices to them. We slow them down. And then we question why they can't get to some young kid's elite fastball. Well, you gave them more choices. I mean, matter of fact, you gave them more choices and you slowed them down. And and so when, when you see that aggression precedes discipline, eventually all great hitters have to get good pitches to hit. Absolutely. Can, I mean, unless you're Roberto Clemente, Yogi Berra, um, Vladimir Guerrero, there are always exceptions to rules. But eventually most, mo, and, and I mean, in, in today's game, hundred mile an hour guys, like you sort of got to hit, hittable pitches, right? Like that's eventually where this thing has to end up. All I'm saying is I realize that as well, but you know, eight, nine, 10 year old, 11 year old pitchers don't throw that hard. They don't command it that well. And before those days come, we want to, we want to create an aggressive athlete with, with less choices we, we want to avoid that paralysis by analysis at all at all costs like that's a big thing in youth coaching and if you do that if you do that and if you engage in that behavior what what you'll see kids do over time is they will naturally become discipline hitters because they will be forced to to um they they learn themselves which pitches they can and can't find the barrel on and then the the better the pitcher, the more that 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 zone condenses into what you see at the highest of levels, which is the strike zone, which which becomes the strike zone. So, you know, that was that's my wheelhouse. Like when you threw that, you threw a lob to me, <laughs> you know, that that aggression precedes discipline is, is pretty much the foundation of how I teach hitting um, from the youth to the to the higher levels.
0: Blast Motion is now currently offering all listeners of Patrick Jones Baseball $35 off. If you go to their website and type in code PJB25, you'll get $35 off. Blastmotion.com, type in code PJB25, you'll get $35 off your order. It's the best bang for your buck when it comes to player development and technology in baseball. Whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, a parent, it's very easy to understand. It tracks whether you're swinging down or up on the ball, your bat speed, how long your bat is on playing with the incoming pitch for. It's an incredible product. I can't recommend it enough. I've been using it for several years now with all of my players. Every player uses it. That's why it's so easy for me to talk about it because it's such a great product for how much it costs. So head up over to BlastMotion.com, type in code pjb 25 and you'll get thirty-five dollars off. What at what age do you think coaches should start implementing the the discipline, the swing decisions, that type of a thing?
1: Well, I think the big field, um, the big field sort of forces your hand, where um, you know from, from forty from forty-six feet and fifty feet, like it, it's it's arena ball, like they just jam it down your throat, and it's really hard to be successful hitter if you have these disciplined thoughts in your head. But when you ask me when I think the natural shift is the big field. I think that's the natural shift is, is we have to have a little bit more focus with, uh, with certain pitches to hit and and pitchers start to specialize and, you know, the PO becomes a thing and, uh, you know, the pitcher only. And then once, once those pitchers start specializing in their craft, and they start really starting to command the strike zone, that's when the discipline starts to become something that we talk about, get a good pitch to hit. And, you know, and, and, and we do, we talk about it. It's just that we don't talk about it when they're really young. And and if you watched me coach a nine or a 10 year old team, you're like, you, you might think that guy's crazy. And, and, you know, I wouldn't resent you for it because in many, many respects it, it would look crazy. But then when you see him become, 13 14 15 you're like what happened to those crazy reckless kids well they grew into they grew into a more manageable disciplined hitter that's just what happens
0: so you think that they they will naturally become a more disciplined hitter because one of the things and i'm sure you'd agree with this too what really separates hitters the older that they get in professional baseball is who swings at good pitches? I mean, yeah. quite honestly, I mean that's really what it comes. Everyone has a good swing. Everyone can hit balls over 100 miles an hour. It's who swings at good pitches and who takes bad ones.
1: Absolutely, and 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 that's, I agree completely. I mean, and and I I I put a tweet out there. I think it was at this point maybe a year or two ago, but I, I think it's true. I think your better hitters strike out looking more often than swinging. I I think. They recognize that they they have such great plate discipline that they know when a ball is two inches three inches off the zone, and they're like, no, nope, can't hit it. And then they get rung up, and they but they live with it. They go, yeah, I, but I can't hit that, and I know that's not a strike. And the the players that don't have that great plate recognition, they find themselves chasing those pitches, and then and then they're swinging at the ball three inches off the plate, missing it. the the guy that takes it three inches off the plate at least defers to the umpire and sometimes he gets to he gets to fight another day he gets to walk he gets he gets a better count so agree completely that that eventually that plate discipline becomes the gold standard it's we have got to recognize what that plate discipline looks like and you know, I I I I couldn't. We, my son and I now, as a 19-year-old, work. We that's how we talk now. That's how we talk. You know, is that no panic? Don't don't enlarge the zone. Don't don't get don't get big with two strikes. Keep a great focus. You know, but but that's not how we talked when he was younger. That's how we talk now.
0: Well, I think you alluded to something important there when you talked about uh, a hitter who takes a strike three and knows he can't do anything with that. I think a good hitter also is okay with that outcome at times too yeah. and, and doesn't panic, doesn't freak out. Um, and I think that's that's really a big league type approach is having a plan and when the plan doesn't work, you're okay with it. And that's hard to do with the, with kids anywhere in high school even um, and even probably college kids too and you know maybe even lower parts of the minor leagues, but I think the elite hitters have what you just said right there where um, they're okay with that. They're okay with, and and not okay with failing. They don't want that to happen, but they stuck to their plan and they judge themselves based off of sticking with their plan.
1: So one of the things that I think elite hitters develop is, is what I would call a neutral mind is that they, they stay centered so they can make adjustments and, and young hitters, they, 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 they get ripped and, Ripped and pulled pitch to pitch. So young hitters get influenced by previous pitches more than more than more experienced hitters. More experienced hitters keep that neutral mind and they know that the pitcher's trying to execute pitches and set them up. Whereas a a younger hitter gets influenced by that 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 O2 fastball up and in and is like, oh, he's trying to get me up and in. And then he knows that the slider's coming low and away. And and those more experienced hitters can can really create that neutral mind that that they they see each pitch independent of every other pitch i think i think that's that's important and and i think that's sort of where the the, the discipline comes i think they they because they have that neutral mind they maintain a focus for the entire at bat and you know those those really good older hitters they you're right they The only time they really are going to get frustrated with themselves is when they give an at bat away, when they lost that neutral mind or they lost that focus and, and, and young kids, they don't even know like how to approach an at bat, right? For them adjustments happen during practice the next week with experienced hitters, adjustments happen, you know, between the two Oh fastball and the three, one fastball, like that's how adjustments happen. It's so, yeah, those are things we talk about, too. How fast How fast can you make an adjustment?
0: Yeah, and I, and it takes a while for those young hitters to, to get those reps to get to that point, too. I, I don't think we can – you can't rush a lot of that. I mean, that just takes time, and I think that's frustrating, it seems, for parents and, and kids because they want it right now but you just can't, I mean, you can't give a nine-year-old an 18-year-old's brain, you know, you can't, I mean, you just can't do it. They haven't seen enough, enough uh, pitches coming at them yet. It's kind of when you first start flipping balls to a kid and he's late every single time and, and you, uh, you feel like you want to tell him when to swing. He just doesn't have the experience yet. He's, as you uh, mentioned in that video, low IQ, he's a low IQ hitter. And and I think that you're completely right on that and I just I don't know I mean do you think you can speed up that process at all or do you think that just it's just natural it just is what it is
1: I think one of the best ways to speed it up is to give your kids a voice and and what I mean by that is young kids can't interpret their feedback correctly they all they recognize is you know a, a success and a failure like they're 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 results are, are, you know, they, they have this polar polarity to it where they're either a success or they're not, they, they get a single where they don't, they, they hit the ball or they don't where at the higher levels, if, if you take BP, you know, guys are really good at interpreting their ball flight and, and they know what they're after. They want backspin in the opposite gap. They, they hate topspin to the pool side like all of these things are, are things that they look at. And so, what I've found is when you give a kid a voice, you force him to interpret things for himself. You f- force it on him. So, what, what I'll do is I'll often say, grade your hits one to 10. And, and, and that's simple, right? You're not asking them any more than tell me how much you like that hit. And if a kid pulls a ball, but it's got crazy topspin, and he says eight, And I'm like, so I had that as a four, let's talk about that. Right. And, and, and now all of a sudden what you're getting is you're getting dialogue. You're getting a question. You're getting, well, okay. So why did he think it's a four and what I thought that was successful. I thought, I thought I hit it on the barrel and it landed it short of the left fielder. Like, isn't that what we want? Well, so we'll take that in a game, right? We'll take that in a game when the pitcher's unpredictable, but we're not going to settle for that in BP in BP, you know what's coming. I got one pitch, one speed. Like we want to be perfect in BP. And and so, you know, just creating conversations with young kids will will give them a voice over time. And at the higher levels, learning is is this give and take process process, which is so helpful, is that you know the, the coach becomes a sounding board as much as this medium of information, but at the younger levels, I mean, you're begging and pleading for kids to interact with you. And all it is, is like, you know, I'll give you what you want. Tell me what it is you want and I'll do it for you. No, that's not what we're here for. Like we're here. So you get better and you can't get better if you don't have a voice. Cause I don't even know what you're thinking. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's the idea of giving kids a voice really allows growth to take place because it becomes this give and take instead of one dimensional.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's sometimes the environment, if that's it, or I I think it's probably more just because they're young and they don't, they don't know anything better yet. You know, I just, I think that's honestly the, the conclusion that I've come to. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. They just don't know. That's they just don't mean. know what now, what do you, what are your thoughts on two strike hitting for kids, because that's another one too, where, I mean, God forbid they strike out, you know I mean? And, and not put the ball in play. You know, I know everyone every coach has a different philosophy on that. And you've coached travel baseball too, you know, run an, or you have ran an organization and you know, what, what what's your philosophy on, on two strikes? Well, young kids are
1: not nearly as emotionally stable as older kids. And, you know, so a strikeout for a 10, 11, 12 year old could put him into a tailspin for for the entire day. So to to simply say, well, we're going to maintain a two strike approach, no panic, we're going to take pitches three inches off the outside corner if they ring us up, they ring us up. Like I just don't think that's realistic for young kids. That that's that that sounds like that's a good strategy when when the the quality of umpiring matches the quality of play, which which occurs at higher levels. But, you know, I, I, I'm a dad before I'm a coach. And if, if I'm in a tournament and you know, my son's up with two strikes and I know the umpire is giving six, seven inches off the outside corner. Like I'm asking him like, Hey, please look away, please look away, cover up that outside corner. Please be willing to expand the outside corner. Just, I like. You know, and it's just one game, one at bat, like it's it's not going to seal your fate and your destiny for all time. It's it's one at bat. And this umpire is sort of forcing our hand a little bit. And for your sake and the team's sake, you have to be willing to, to, to expand it a little bit. And uh, and that's that that was always what we said. You know, I, I know know how you're willing to fail. It's a game of failure and know how you're willing to fail means all right, if I'm going to strike out, it's going to be him making a nasty pitch on the inside corner. That's how I'm willing to fail. If he goes hard in and locks me up, you know, I'm, you know, my son and I are going to go, wow, good pitch. And that's going to be the end of it. But if, if he goes outside corner, six inches off the plate, and we've agreed that the umpire's giving six inches and you're not ready to to cover it up, like Luke, I'm gonna be upset with you, bud. Like, and and you know it. You know it. And we all know it. That's how we so that's that's, that's what we talked about at the lower levels. At the lower levels, if the umpire is gonna expand and and we're trying to play to win and and we really don't like striking out, we're gonna to try to cover up the outside corner, you know, maybe maybe even six inches off the plate. We would never ask an older player to do that.
0: One of the things that I see too at the, a lot of the high school level is kids taking that first pitch strike right down the middle, and just not being ready to hit, and then it puts them in that hole. And you know, like with the umpires not being the greatest, before you know it, they're they're ringed up on strike three or swinging at something that's not in their zone. Have you noticed that too um, with, with running a travel organization? Is a lot of kids at times will take take that first pitch when? That's well, I'll be honest with you.
1: The, the foundation of green light hitting really, no, not, not with go wags. Like our guys were really aggressive. And we, we, now if you want to train aggressive hitters, you have to be willing to applaud the swing and the miss that that's, that's the, that's another real big foundational element is that you you can't preach. I want aggressive hitters. And then when they chase a ball neck high, you say, Hey, make it be a strike. Like you can't do that. You, you have to, Applaud them, and then you know, over time, hopefully, say, "Hey, we'll we'll get that." But I see so many uh, hard throwers throw up, and a kid will chase it, and then they'll be coached not to chase. It. And I'm like, "Yeah, but he's throwing hard; like he doesn't have much time to react; like his brain isn't functioning that fast." That's what you're going to get with aggressive hitters. So, your question about first pitch—it's it, easy to resolve. It's it's train them to be aggressive, and and they'll they'll immediately jump into the box wanting to hit that first pitch. Like, so we, I did as a player, I did, I was, I was fearful. I was cautious. I, I, you know, I, I, I was hesitant, but no, not, not with our younger guys Our younger guys. It was one of our things that we prided ourselves on. We're ready to attack that first hittable pitch.
0: How did you go about educating parents to not be uh coaching during games and on the fence i think that's probably in my opinion the number one derailer of kids in playing baseball yeah. is just parents over coaching i mean it's hard enough as is yeah. and now you're thinking about what your mom or your dad is saying you know and and trying to please them too i mean do you have any advice for for anybody out there listening on that
1: well, so the first thing I'm going to say is coaches owe it to themselves to become as knowledgeable, as competent, as, 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 as great of a coach as they can be. Okay. Uh, they owe it to themselves first and foremost. So when you build yourself up, when you, when you totally have an idea of what it is you believe in, what you, what you want to achieve, then you can go to the parent group and say, this is what I believe. And this is how we're going to do things. And honestly, I never had parents overcoach me. And and, and I don't mean to say that, like, hey, Wagner had it all figured out, but I tied them into the process. In other words, they knew that if something was needed to be said, I was going to say it. And because they trusted me, they didn't feel the need to intervene and coach their kid. You're exactly right, that, that parents do over coach but i'll also say this i have seen many coaches not coach the entire team so i've seen many coaches only coach their son i've seen many coaches only coach their best friend's kid i've seen many coaches get so frustrated that their son struck out that they forget to coach the other kids and what i believe happens is parents with the best of intentions feel like, well, if no one's going to coach my kid, I'm going to do it, right? Like, I desperately want you to coach my kid, but because nothing is being said, I'm going to jump in. So I, I, I coached all those kids hard. And I think the parents knew that, well, if it needs to be said, he'll say it. And I think we owe it – the coaches owe it to the, their themselves, the players – to completely have a plan, to, 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 to buy into what it is they believe and how they're going to go about their business. And then coach all the kids hard. And if you coach all the kids hard, parents, they'll, they'll back off. They'll back off. They'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's on it. He's going to coach my kid hard. And and that's what we all should want as parents. We all should want our kids to be coached honestly, truthfully, with encouragement, but but very directly. And and what I've found is when parents When their kids get coached hard, honest, direct, uh, with encouragement, uh, they know their kids appreciated, they'll back off, they'll back off. And it's, it's not, it's not this, Hey, don't say anything mindset. I I don't think that that will scale. I think it is, you know, coaches need to first and foremost show the parents that I am going to, I am willing to coach your kid hard. I am going to give him great information when he needs it. And if, and if they see it, then the end result is inevitable. They will back off.
0: When you say coach your kids hard, I, I assume you don't mean when they're actually at bat.
1: No, I, I believe in something, uh, F.P. Santangelo said it and I stole it. He said, uh, hot practices, cold games. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, our practices were intense. I mean, we got after it, we got better. We, we 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 condensed a whole bunch of stuff and parents would show up and they would watch and they would they would see what we were doing. And that's where the trust was developed. The trust was developed in practice. And that's that's where they knew that all right, Wags is gonna coach these kids hard. And then when the games rolled around, it was very much applauding, encouraging. We've got this. And and then that's when they were like, no, if if it needs to be said, he'll say it. And if he's not saying it, then I don't need to say it. Right. But but if you're not if you're not going to coach your kids hard in practice, when are you going to coach them? Right. Are you going to coach them hard in the game? Well, that that's not right. It's their opportunity. It's, it's their moment. Like the reason they signed up was to enjoy games. Don't coach them hard in the game. That's not the time to coach them. So it's it's this delicate balance of of uh, of practice and games but but th- that practice is is the critical moment in time to develop parent trust and you coach them hard you you and then do not close your practices make sure that parents are there and they can see everything you're you're coaching them on so they can have those conversations in the car ride home and you know when he said when you know when he said Hey, uh, you know, we want to get to third base on that dirt ball because there's one out, right? Like, what did he mean by that? Why did he say one out? Why not nobody out? What do you know the difference, right? And and then those conversations build your baseball players and, and then everyone's on the same team. But yeah, that so that's it's that trust. I, I really think it's a coach-centered model with developing trust so the parents know that, yeah, he's got it and he's going to be honest. He's going to encourage them, but he's going to be honest with them.
0: How do we get more coaches to want to do that essentially? Because that's, I think you're definitely right, but we don't have Kyle Wagner's everywhere, unfortunately, who want, you know, are are as passionate as you are at the amateur level, coaching travel baseball. I see a lot of people going from team to team. I see coaches in and out. I I just see that, that. I see it as a, a, I don't know how to fix that problem.
1: You know, well, every every coach was a once upon a time player. I mean, for the most part, and you know, it, I, I find it amusing that when you're a player, you're 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 told to be coachable, and you're told to learn, and you're told to grow in the game, and and there's always something to learn. And then there's this moment in time where you stop, you retire, you quit, you hang up the spikes, whatever you want to call it and then you become a coach and then all of a sudden you went from you know one week ago i i was a player and i was supposed to be coachable and one week later i'm i'm the coach with all the answers like that's just not how it works and it's this never ending process of development and you know one of the one of the greatest things that we as coaches can do is admit we don't have all the answers and it's humility. And, and part of being competent is knowing you're not going to have all the answers. It's knowing that your assistant coaches should have the opportunity to challenge you and and to say, I don't think you're right. I, I, I think, I think this is where we should have, have our time served. And I think he would be better in this area. And, and it's just, you know, it's, 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 you know, removing those barriers and 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 admitting and admitting that yes, I write the lineup and yes, ultimately I am in charge of of this team's performance and production, but I certainly don't have all the answers. And 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 you know what, that dad down the left field line, you know what, like he might see something that I don't see. And it is crazy to suggest that, but when I was the coach of the River Cats, there were many conversations that took place between games from a dad that came up and said hey did you see this no I didn't see that and if if we don't if we coaches can't promote an environment of you know humility and and this uh this I guess safe the psychologically safe environment like it's sometimes parents are threatened and and you know, so we coaches, if we really want to create an environment where we can grow and, you know, you, you have to first and foremost admit that I don't have all the answers and and the, the parents, the parents in the chairs and the parents on the sidelines actually might be able to help us achieve all our goals.
0: Last thing I wanted to talk to you about since you are in travel baseball, you know, ran an organization for several years is the college recruiting process. And it seems that kids, every kid wants to go D1, which who wouldn't, I mean, let's be honest, I wanted to go play at Vanderbilt, just like every other kid does. How do we make it though, so that they're kind of they are where their their feet are at, though, and they're they're focused on getting better and developing and not worried about the next scholarship and all those things? How did you go about it? I guess maybe is a better question.
1: Well, you know, the one quote that 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 rings true is comparison is the thief of joy, right? Is that when we play this game where we're constantly in comparison mode, like that sort of tears the fun out of it for everyone. And you know, I coached at Elizabethtown College, it's a division three school here in Pennsylvania. And one of the, the the most exciting fun times I've had, and and those kids They didn't care that they were at a division three school like they got after it. And once you realize that, you know, once you make your commitment, once you do your Instagram thing and say, I'm committed and now, you know, recruit life is about to end and real life's about to begin. And real life and recruit life are totally two different animals. And, you know, eventually there's going to come a time when you're going to put a uniform on. And the coach is going to either write your name in the lineup or not write your name in the lineup. And if you, if you really want to sign up for those division one schools, if that's really what you're interested in, then you, then you also need to know how cutthroat it is, how, how much they have to win, how much they're willing to over recruit. They're going to recruit over you. They're going to go Juco. They're going to do whatever they have to win because they have a family, right? They, they have to, go home at night and know that like they're providing for their family. And division one baseball is, is not just, you know, my, my, the prestige of posting something on Instagram, like recruit life ends and real life begins. And I I just, all I can say is that everyone's got to find their own way. They've got to be willing to do their homework. They've got to find a place that will appreciate them. will coach them. Uh, there are there are many coaches that will give you, you know, the the, the right lip service message and say tell you everything you want to hear and yes we're going to coach you for three years and yes you're going to get opportunities but like that's not what the actions say you know you, yeah you have to dig a little bit it, it it's the information age there's information out there you can find out roster attrition and who left and you know, how, how powerful they recruit the junior college ranks and things like that, because, you know, your freshman year, like it's, it's real life. And and it's, it's a hard time. COVID has really created some bubbles for a lot of people. And, and those bubbles are, you know, you, you can, you can say we're going to expand rosters, but they're not expanding lineups. They're still putting nine guys in. So (laughs) it's, you know, okay. So, I'm I'm in uniform, but I'm still not on the field. So, um, the best message I can give is that you have got to find your own way. You have got to stop comparing yourself to others. Uh, eventually, you're going to go to a school. People are going to forget about your Instagram post, and it's going to become real life with real problems. And you know, if 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 you're not if you're not up for that cutthroat world of visual and baseball, you you know you're you you probably ought to postpone that Instagram post. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Kyle, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, everyone make sure to go, uh, go check out Kyle's book, green light hitting. Um, we'll put, we'll put all your, um, all your links to social media and everything on the show notes page. And I'm also going to put that, Twitter video that you had on us, which I think talks about, you know, reaction time and aggression pre-discipline. And there's some really, it was just really good thread, a lot of good videos on that thread. So put that on there too. But again, thanks for coming on today.
1: I appreciate you having me. I like talking this stuff anytime I can.